Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hello, friends. Nah. <laughs> Good to see you. In, uh, in the uh, early years that I was uh, practicing, there, um, there was a different style in, in giving retreats at the end, of, I should say, uh, giving talks. At the end of, of the talk, instead of being quiet and just letting the words settle in as, as we do, uh, we've been doing for quite some time, uh, there used to be uh, some questions and answers at the end of the talk. And then um, after the questions and answers, those who still had questions and answers would come up and ask some more questions. I always had questions. I wanted to know. I wanted to get it right. I was hungry to learn, but also I just wanted to make sure I was doing it right. Um, and I can remember it was on my, uh, my first, uh, three month retreat at, at IMS, uh, in 76 that, um, Joseph was giving the talk. And when Joseph gave a talk, I always had questions cause I thought he knew everything. Right. So I, um, there I was, uh, one day at the, uh, at the end and there were, after the questions, the formal questions, uh, then there were a few people who still would come up. And uh, one day he came, uh, I was walking up and I remember distinctly him saying, in an affectionate way, I think, I hope, he was saying, um, oh, it's the Nudnik. <clears throat> And if you if you know what nudnik means, or if you don't know, I'll tell you. It's a kind of uh, you probably do. It's a Yiddish word that means kind of the nudge, the 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 pest. You know, oh, it's the nudnik, right? And uh, I took it as an affectionate thing because if it wasn't, it would really be hurtful. But he said it with a smile on his face, like, "Oh, you got more questions for me, okay." And then he would, he said, um, and he, he had said this uh, a number of times that um, he was a philosophy major at Columbia University in New York. And he also had that same wanting to know and curiosity and asking a lot of questions. And when he was in the, um, in the Peace Corps in Thailand, and he first learned to uh, to meditate, and he got was very excited. And he would go to the the Dharma talks at the uh, uh, at the monastery where he listened to the Dharma. And he had so many questions. He said that when the monks found out that he was coming, many of them stayed away. Right. So he said, "I he had, I." I was in the, the right lineage. You might have seen yourself 
with lots of questions. What's the right way to do it? Am I doing it right? Especially on an online retreat where there's not that much opportunity to, to connect or, you know, if you sign up for a, an individual um, with, with Luigi, perhaps you do, but um, it's, it's less of a, you're in a more independent setting. And so being more on your own, you might find that just given the circumstances that you have questions, if you're wanting to do it right, if you're wanting to know the answer, wanting to know the right way, or afraid of you doing, doing it wrong. Has that come up for, for people here? Get a few nods, a little bit. And I wanted to talk tonight both about that uh, tendency of mind and uh, about a teaching that I think is very important as we're doing this, this practice of uh, learning to trust. There's many different approaches to practice. And you, depending upon who you study with, you might hear very different um, styles and uh, encouragements about real practice or true practice. I remember hearing in my early years when one teacher uh, saying, uh, practice like your hair is on fire. And that actually is a is in one of the suttas, the the Fena Sutta in the uh, uh, Samyutta Nikaya. Practice one can practice like one's hair is on fire. The Buddha himself, who was from the warrior caste, um, this was his style of practice in his quest to become awakened. And this is one sutta, the uh, uh, Apatthivana Sutta. Gladly would I let the flesh and blood in my body dry up, leaving just the skin, tendons, and bones. But if I had, have not attained what I can be reached through human firmness, human persistence, human striving, there will be no relaxing in my persistence. From this heedfulness of mine was attained awakening. From this heedfulness of mine was attained the unexcelled freedom from bondage. And then he says later on, thus you should train yourselves. We will relentlessly exert ourselves, thinking gladly would we let the flesh and blood in our bodies dry up, leaving just the skin, tendons, and bones. But if we've not attained what, cannot, what can be reached through human firmness, human persistence, human striving, let there be no relaxing our persistence. That's how you should train yourselves. Warrior. Right? And I practiced with um, Upandita, who was a you know, really um, um, deep, um, skillful uh, meditation teacher with technique. Uh, Kamala had mentioned him. 
And he would say, um, make heroic effort. Heroic effort. That was his, that was his big thing. Note every single moment, you know. And for some, that was a, a really valuable encouragement. For others, less so. So that's one style of practice. Then there's other approaches to practice. Manindraji, who Kamala mentioned, who also was a, uh, uh, an important teacher of mine, would say, simple and easy, simple, empty phenomena rolling on, just settle, settle back, simple and easy. The, that uh, Vajra song that um, somebody read uh, from Gendon Rinpoche, Tibetan master, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open, inviting, and comfortable. And Utejaniya, uh, uh, another wonderful teacher who's been mentioned a uh, number of times here. I'll share with you some of his uh, 23 points for right attitude. When meditating, both the mind and the body should be comfortable. If the mind and the body are getting tired, something is wrong with the way you're practicing, and it's time to check the way you're meditating. Why do you focus so hard to meditate? Do you want something? Do you want something to happen? The meditating mind should be relaxed and at peace. You cannot practice when the mind is tense. You have to accept and watch both good and bad experiences. You only want good experiences. You don't want even the tiniest unpleasant experience. Is that reasonable? Is this the way of the Dhamma? And continually checking your, your attitude so that it's not tight and it's, um, it's not contracted. So you hear different teachers or you study with one teacher and you say, oh, I found the right way. And then you study with somebody else and say, oh, wait, um, I'm getting a different message here. And the, the Buddha himself realized and understood so many different ways to practice. That was one of the perfections that he, he had of um, skillful means, 84,000 Dharma gates, uh, it said. He was the master of skillful means. And so for one person, he said, yes, exert yourself. For somebody else, he said, here, take this take this um, cloth and you just keep on rubbing. And he sensed that this, this guy was not big for, um, for remembering all the rules and, and getting all the, uh, everything just right. And he just kept on rubbing the cloth until finally he saw that white cloth turned uh dirty and realized the truth of impermanence and was awakened on one discourse that I 
that I love this year, where he has, uh, he realized that uh, there's many different approaches to thoughts, so many different approaches to thoughts. Have you seen how, how slippery thoughts can be? I'm sure you've seen many, many times, not just this retreat, but in your practice. Here's a, a, um, a Peanuts uh, cartoon that I love that somebody gave me a while ago about this. First frame. Here I am. Oh, it wasn't Peanuts. It was Calvin and Hobbes. I'm just realizing Calvin and Hobbes. Here I am, happy and content. Second frame. But not euphoric. Third frame. So I'm no longer content. I'm no longer happy. My day is ruined. I should have stopped thinking while I was ahead. Last frame. That's often how it works, isn't it? Oh, yeah, things are going well. And then there's this thought that snags our, our mind and we get caught. And all of a sudden, it's, it's not what it was 10 minutes ago or an hour ago or yesterday. So just thought as part of this, I would share with you some of the Buddha's um, suggestions for dealing with the the distracted mind. This is from the uh, the Sutta on removing of distract distracting thoughts, Majima Nikaya number twenty. He says you might be sitting and and feeling uh, concentrated and present, but then some thoughts come into your mind that are disturbing. And he says, first strategy, he says, one, let me see if I can just, uh, I'll read some of it. Um, When those kinds of thoughts intrude, one should attend to another line of thinking apart from that one connected with what is skillful while attending to the ones the thoughts that are skillful, then those unskillful thoughts subside. And he has the example of taking a a carpenter, uh, getting out a a peg that uh, that is in wrong with another peg and substituting another peg. For instance, if you're having um, uh, thoughts of anger, you might substitute, what would you think? Probably meta, right? Or if you're having thoughts on uh, that are lots of doubt, lots of doubting thoughts, you might just reflect on some, something uh, that brings you faith and inspiration. He says, this is skillful. But then he says, it might not work. So he says, if that doesn't work, here's another one. And he goes and he says, if those, if substituting the wholesome thought for the unwholesome thought doesn't work, he says, um, one should scrutinize the drawback of these intruding thoughts and reflect, truly these thoughts of mind are, are unskillful. These thoughts of mine result in in stress. And as one is scrutinizing the drawbacks of the thoughts, 
and does not follow them, then they subside. And he gives an image of, it's a pretty graphic image, uh, just as a young person fond of adornment would be horrified or humiliated and disgusted if the carcass of a snake or a dog or a human being were hung from their neck, in the same way, one should contemplate basically, ooh, I don't want to go there, basically. It's the, you know, the colloquial, don't even go there and don't give energy to those thoughts. Second strategy. But he says, it still might not work. So he offers a third. And he says, if when you're scrutinizing those thoughts, they still are there and they're still bothering you, then here's a third One should pay no mind and no attention to those thoughts. Paying no mind and no attention to them, those thoughts are abandoned and subside. Just as a person with good eyes, not wanting to see forms that had come into range, would close their eyes or look away in the same way those thoughts not giving attention subside and one becomes concentrated. So this is something actually to keep in mind to realize that he is saying to turn your attention elsewhere. This is slightly different from the first. The first is substituting wholesome thoughts for unwholesome thoughts. This is, I don't need to stay with this particular subject. And this is both in the thought or in a sensation, he says, turn your attention to something else that's happening in your experience. And perhaps this is something that you can keep in mind if your body is hurting or you're having some, um, some unpleasant sensation that you can't just use Vedna and say, oh, just unpleasant, but it's really getting to you. Turn your attention somewhere else. Maybe turn your attention to sounds instead of to that unpleasant sensation. If you stay with a, a painful um, sensation for too long, the mind gets very tired and fatigued. He says, this is a skillful thing to do. But then he says, it still might not work. So he gives a fourth strategy. He says, if you try turning your attention elsewhere and those thoughts are still bothering you, then one should attend to the relaxing of thought fabrication with regard to those thoughts. Reten just relaxing the stilling of the formations is one, one translation. And he gives this example just as the thought would occur to someone walking quickly, why am I walking quickly? What if I, why don't I walk slowly? So they walk slowly. And then the thought occurs, why am I walking slowly? Why don't I stand? So they stand. And then the thought occurs, why am I standing? Why don't I sit? And then he says, oh, why am I sitting? Why don't I lie down? It's getting better and better. Like he says, just relax, 
just soften, take it easy. Or another interpretation is seeing the emptiness of these thoughts, where they come from nowhere and where they return to nowhere. So he says, just kind of relax and cool out. But then he says, it still might not work. So the final card in this sutta, and there's many more, but this is the, the fifth in this. He says, when attending those, still those thoughts arise, and he's trying to, one is trying to relax, then with te- teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the ro- roof of the mouth, one should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with awareness. And then he gives the, uh, the simile, just as a strong man seizing a weaker man by the head or throat or shoulders would beat him down, constrain him, and crush him in the same way, if those thoughts are still arising, one should beat down with teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, one should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with awareness. Wow. Warrior. Now, uh, just as a warning, you can't do this in my own experience. You can't do this with aversion. You have to do it with a real clarity, you know, like a mother being very firm with her child, no, you can't run out into the street. No, you can't touch that stove. And there can be a firmness that you can say to yourself, but it's, there's got to be love underneath the way I've seen it. If you've, if you've ever used that with yourself and just been firm in a loving way, no, let's not go there now. Just raise your hand. I'm curious. Oh, okay, good. You got to use that very, very gingerly, but I want you to see these are different approaches, different styles for the same situation from the same great teacher. One of the things on this retreat, I I have a feeling you probably have, have noticed it is uh, there are, you know, six uh, teachers giving talks and Luigi uh, doing her signups, you know, and you might have noticed, I notice how uh, different each person's style and personality is. It's, it's, I think, a really good thing to see how many different ways the Dharma can be expressed So if that's so, you ever go into a a practice discussion and you have something uh, on your mind and the teacher comes and says just the right thing and you walk out and saying, how do they know just what to say? Well, reflect on the fact that if you went to five other rooms, they might've given you their own, just the right antidote. So with all of this, the question comes back to um, 
Who do you trust? How do you know who to listen to? And it's good to trust and listen to teachers and, and uh, take in their suggestions. Uh, but ultimately, you probably have figured out you have to trust your own experience, which is what the Buddha said to the Kalamas, where he, he said it was mentioned before, you should decide, Kalamas, what's what's true, not by what you've heard, not by following convention, not by assuming it is so, not by relying on the texts, not because of reasoning or logic, not by thinking about explanations, not by acquiescing to the views that you prefer, and certainly not out of respect for a teacher. But when you would know Kalamas for yourselves, these things are unhealthy. These things, when entered upon and undertaken, inclined towards harm and suffering, then, Kalamas, you should reject them. And when you know for yourselves, these things are healthy. These things, when entered upon and undertaken, inclined toward welfare and happiness, then, Kalamas, having come to them, you should stay with them. So he says, you have to check it out for yourself, but you're getting all kinds of messages in your mind and you might get confused. Who, what message should I trust? What should I, what should I follow? There's so many decisions that you make in your practice throughout the day. Should I, um, should I just collect the mind on, on the breath should I open it up to notice changing objects? Should I do choiceless awareness? Should I um, just receive experience or investigate? Should I move or not move? When I walk, should I do lifting, moving, placing, or just relax and go walking? Or just enjoy a walk and just lighten up? Have you noticed how many decisions there are to make? How do you know? So I want to talk a bit about how to trust or give some suggestions, at least that I found useful in how to trust. Uh, Ajahn Chah has, uh, has the saying, uh, trusting your Buddha knowing or Mahabua, another great master says, uh, the one who knows, the one who knows, how, how do we know what to trust that comes through? So the first that I would encourage you to just mm, look for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Remember, just like the Buddha said, but you just check it out. One thing that I have found so incredibly important is when we're trying to get the right answer and we're trying to figure out the right way, the mind is contracted. And in that contraction, it's very hard for wisdom to shine through. 
This is from a, I can find it, from a yogi on a, a retreat. It was their first retreat and they were struggling really uh, continually trying to get the right answer and um, kept on telling them, you don't have to figure it out. And then finally, towards the end of the retreat, uh, she wrote me this note saying, the one thing that is indelibly in my brain is finally getting, you don't have to figure it out. That would never have registered as an option before. Just today, when I was doing walking meditation, struggling as my thoughts were going round and round, those words came into my mind. You don't have to figure it out. I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going. And I thought to myself, the rest will balance itself out in its own time. And I resumed my walking. What? a revelation. So to not have to figure it out, but to relax. There's a line I love from the third Zen patriarch, the, who wrote verses on the faith mind. Um, I, I had mentioned him before the burdensome practice of judging. It's from that, that same treatise. He has this line, Stop talking and thinking, and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. I love that line. Stop talking and thinking, and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. Have you ever found that when you finally just give up trying so hard, the answer becomes apparent? Because the mind is letting go of that tightness and there's a spaciousness for the wisdom to shine through. <clears throat> so letting go of figuring it out and just exploring, discovering, like has been said in this fathom long body, the whole of life is revealed. This is your laboratory to just discover don't take it personally. Don't take the thoughts that come out or the way the body is working. It's just all following its laws and starting to explore with curiosity instead of coming up with the right answer. And when you can do that, you're more able to listen to the wisdom right inside of you. It's right inside. We just have to learn how to listen instead of figure out. You know, we've been talking about receiving experience instead of trying to pounce on it and make it any one way. Of course, there's curiosity and investigation, but there's a kind of receiving and letting things reveal themselves to you. 
So if you're, if you're getting in touch with some decision that needs to be made, should I sit longer? Should I watch the breath? Should I open up to awareness? Should I leave this relationship or stay? Or should I mm, take this job? Or what should I do? We're just practicing here for the same principle out there. And rather than trying to force the right answer, just asking yourself, what do I need right now? What's going to support me right now? And then listen. It might not come right away, but if you keep on asking and are open, then life reveals itself in its own time. I was, some of you uh, have, have heard the story, I'm sure, uh, at a, a crossroads in my life a number of years ago. I had been teaching school for 10 years in New York City. Uh, and I loved it for the most part, but I, I loved it a lot for many years. But then the Dharma hooked me and I, I knew that was what I wanted to give my life to. But I was afraid of leaving my job in New York. I was earning $17,000 a year at the time, which was big money for me in those days, many years ago. And God, what, what will I do? I don't know. And there was the uh, meditation center. It just opened in, in Barry. Maybe I'll go up there and be on staff. And then there was um, uh, moving out to California, which I'd fallen in love with when I went to the West Coast. That might be good. Just start a whole new life. And then there was, oh, what about the Asian experience? I really, I should do my Asian trip and really immerse myself in the Dharma. So there were four options and they all seemed very reasonable and I didn't want to blow it. So I went round and round in my mind, what's the right thing to do? Oh my God, will I be able to earn money? Or And I was kind of driving myself crazy. Um, and during the summer, each summer I'd go out to Boulder, Colorado, where Naropa uh, Institute in those days, now Naropa University was to, to practice with Joseph. Um, and uh, when I was there, I remembered there was a very wise man that I had visited a number of times in, um, in Denver, Reverend, who had, I'd seen him three or four times. He was a psychic. I'd seen him three or four times and he was, he was always right on. I said, I'm going to go to Reverend Miller. He'll tell me what to do. And I went to Reverend Miller. I was so excited. And Reverend Miller looked, he was the spitting image of Colonel Sanders, you know, his beard and his glasses. And, and, and he was a, a very friendly guy too. $5 a reading, by the way. So um, I knew he wasn't in it for the money. Right. And he, he was so always right on. And I said, I presented him my options and I said, Reverend Miller, uh, what should I do? Tell me what to do. And he looked at me and he said, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do, 
And my first thought was, oh, shoot, I just blew $5. What do you mean? And then he said, but I will tell you one thing. I said, yeah. He said, it doesn't matter. I said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? That's my life you're talking about. And he, uh, he believed in spirit guides. So that was his way of getting in touch with something beyond. He said, you know, if you're stuck in indecision and just paralyzed in fear, your guides can't help you. But when it's time, when you put yourself in motion, then your guides, this is how he explained it, can help you and you can see life will keep on unfolding for you. He said, so you might make one, go one route and say, oh yeah, this feels right. Uh, And you go on that route and it might be just perfect, but it might not. And it might be, no, this isn't the right one. Okay, let's go for another one. And then you go to that other one and doors open in a way that you never would have realized. He says, any way you look at it, see life supporting you and you will be guided. Just don't get stuck in fear. And when it's time, you just be patient. And when it's time for you to say, this feels right, and you put yourself in motion, life will keep on unfolding. So I've learned a tremendous respect for just learning to listen to life. There's a line I'm just thinking of now in uh, Be Here Now. Ramdas says, the next message you hear will be the next message you hear. Life is giving you messages all the time, but you just have to listen to it. And I love the image of um, the Tibetan great yogi Milarepa, who always, you can tell it's Milarepa because he has his hand to his ear. He's listening to the songs of the Dharma. He's not saying, come on, give me the right answer. He's just saying, uh, listening quietly, listening for how to know, how to know the answer. How, I'm going to ask you now, it will be a little bit of a a participation. Um, How do you know? There's so many voices that come through. Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do, no, let's do this. Let's do that. Think of a good decision that's come to you. And you can put this in the chat box if you'd like. How did you sense that it was the right way to go? What was the clue? Any, or in in your life, how do you know when to trust a particular message that comes through? And we'll take a few, if you will, just think of a good decision. How do you know to trust something? And uh, let's see if there's any brave people here. My gut told me. Great. So sometimes some people feel it in their gut. Yes. Anything else? How do you know? Come on, don't be shy. Listen to my heart. And you might just reflect on how your heart feels. Oh, it was easy. There's an ease that comes from that. Anything else? 
The other option filled me with dread and doubt and spinning over and over. And the option that was right left me feeling vast, expansive, and settled, albeit nervous. Makes me feel joy. Stop being, there's stop being any alternatives. The only one that makes sense came to a point where I could not go, I could not not go in that direction. Feeling is all pervasive, unquestionable. Just take a few more. Started feeling unstuck, gain some momentum. It's probably enough. Don't always know. Open to intuition with a quiet mind and embodied awareness. It felt like a click inside, things aligning inside. So all of these point to something that I found just tremendously helpful. One is, as so many people have been saying, a feeling in your gut or in your heart, or there's an alignment, your body starts to feel open and relaxing or aligned. And it just feels right. Get to know how it feels right. Feels exciting and challenging. Um, All of those things, your body doesn't lie. And if you can listen to the, the voice in your, in your mind, chances are the wisdom voice is very different from the one that's coming from fear, which usually comes in with a finger wag, you better not blow it, or what if you do this? Uh-oh, what's going to happen? And the other one is probably so much more supportive. This feels right, dear. This doesn't feel right. Or maybe it's, this is what you should do. Even if it's not a lovingly soft voice, there is some wisdom and trusting in that. So to really learn how to listen, to really hear the wisdom, uh, I thought I'd share with you just for for fun um, about Dana Falls. Um, You know, the poet who... We've read from, I read from lots. She's my, my favorite Dharma poet. She has, I have seven of her collections of, of poems. They're all fantastic. She was never a poet until she took a, uh, she was doing a, um, a, a retreat. It wasn't a silent meditation retreat, but one of the parts of this retreat, there was an exercise. She was asked, everyone was asked, to just write down, this is what I have to say to you, and then see what comes out. And she wrote that down, this is what I have to say to you. And then it was like she was taking dictation because it wasn't her speaking. It was coming from a much wiser, deeper place than she could ever have imagined And that's how all of these poems come out. This is what I have to say to you. And I'll read one. This is from a a more recent collection called Breath of Joy. It says, this is what I have to say to you. You long for wonder when wonder is all around you. You long for freedom And freedom is the very foundation upon which your world is built. 
You long for creativity, which never stops flowing into you. You long for a direct experience of truth, and that's what you are. You can't escape your true nature, even if you wanted to. You long to be awake, and that is a choice you can make moment by moment. When you forget to make it this, when you forget to make it this breath, choose it in the next. You long to be one with the divine, and that is your radiant essence. You long to break free of conditioning, yet you let yourself spin endlessly in the same worn grooves of thought. Anytime you choose, you can leap out of these ruts and receive with gladness the day as it is arrayed before you. Let longing transform itself into gratitude and yearning morph into love. Whatever you wish for, find it now, celebrate it here, experience it fully before you forget again what's real. All of these incredible wisdom teachings are just hearing that voice and hearing the sensing the expansion that comes from the voice of the truth, as opposed to the contraction that comes from the voice of fear. And you can trust that. You can trust that Buddha knowing. And this gets me to a third area that I find will be a real support for you I, I suspect as it is for me. And that's taking the refuges as powerful gateways to trust. When you take refuge in the Buddha, what are you doing? What does that mean to take refuge in the Buddha? It's not about Siddhartha uh, or uh, Gotama Buddha is going to tell you the answer. He's saying, yeah, see for yourself but when you take refuge in the Buddha, you're taking refuge in the wisdom that's right inside of you. Trust, not that everything is going to work out, but trust that your awareness can meet the moment when it comes and realize that you're not in control of this life, but you can meet it, that the awareness can hold it all. Those times that deep awareness, dear, deep wisdom has come through you. It's almost like a surprise, like, aha, wow. Oh, look at that. I didn't know that wisdom was in there. And when you feel that ring of truth, trust it. Even if you're going to forget, I want to read to you a Buddha speaking to a yogi uh, that um, she decided to remember. I love this. This is called Letter to My Future Self. And this is a yogi who had lots and lots and lots of doubts and was giving herself a hard time, who's done a lot of practice. And she is, it's beautiful to see how she has blossomed. This is what she wrote a couple of years ago uh, on a a month-long retreat. Letter to my future self. Dear future me, 
caught in resistance, boredom, doubt, or self-doubt, etc., etc. I know it may not seem this way right now, but it's worth it. Really, really worth it. And it's working. And you're not doing it all wrong. In fact, you can't really not do it right. Your intention is powerful. Even if you may not recognize it at the moment, sometimes it goes a bit undercover. But believe me, it's there. And that's all that matters. You're doing great. And you're wonderful. And I love you. And I'm so grateful that you are doing this. And I'm right there beside you with a lot of faith and compassion. Lean on it whenever you need it. All will be well. There is only one direction this can go. And she's forgotten, but she remembers. And these days I pull it out and say, uh, shall we read letter to my future self whenever that gets tricked? But very, very, very different now. So if you've touched something really deep, trust it and listen to it. Listen to the Buddha right inside. Be a lamp unto yourself, as the Buddha says. And then there's refuge in the Dharma. What does that mean? I take refuge in the Dharma. What does it mean to take? It's such a, we say it all the time. What does that mean to take refuge in the Dharma? It's not just the way I see it, not just the Buddha Dharma and these body of teachings that have so much wisdom in them, but the Dharma is the way things are, is life. And it's really trusting in life. It's trusting that if you really take refuge in the Dharma, the way I see it, it's trusting that life is giving you what you need in every moment to wake up. It's all part of your curriculum, as, as I've quoted Ram Dass before. And so to really take refuge in that is to trust and to surrender. As she says, there's only one direction this can go. If you're facing in the right direction, then every moment counts. If it's difficult, ah, opening with compassion, learning more deeply the lessons that I'm supposed to. If it's beautiful, ah, what, what grace and to surrender thinking that you need to figure it all out and let, um, as Ajahn Sumedho says, the shining through of the divine, that life is giving you what you need and you can really take refuge in that. And as you get out of the way of trying to figure it out, there's a sense of, openness and okayness with every moment that we're learning little by little, that it's, it's not 
just to create, it's not to create the ideal experience. Whatever you do, whatever you experience, it's going to change. But it's learning to be here for the whole show, for the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs. Have you seen how many ups and downs you've gone through in the last days or the last day or sometimes in one hour? So it's not about getting to some magical place saying, I arrived. It's about being here for the whole show and seeing, I'm not running this show. I'm just showing up as best I can and letting life reveal itself to me. And to find a place of balance and equanimity in that and to get out of the way and to see you are life expressing itself through you. How could you not be perfectly you? The third Zen patriarch, again, to live in this faith, this is called verses on the faith mind, to live in this faith is the road to non-duality because the non-dual is one with the trusting mind. The non-dual is one with the trusting mind. When you let go of running, thinking that you should or do run the show, the non-dual is one with the trusting mind. And all you need to do is face in the right direction and come with the sincere motivation as best you can. And life will keep on helping you awaken and supporting that awaken. And as you awaken, it becomes clearer and clearer. You're not just doing it for your own benefit. You're doing it for all of us. That's the beauty of it when you let go of figuring it out and when you start trusting more, you know, when you're around somebody who has a deep sense of trust, who has a a deep sense of capacity to meet the world, even in its difficulties, when they find that sense of balance and wisdom. And so they're, their goodness shines through. What a gift it is to be around people like that. The non-dual is one with the trusting mind and we do it for ourselves and we do it for all. And as we realize it's not us running the show and we are not getting in the way, we find we have the courage to let life use us well. It's one of my main hmm, aspirations. Um, Not, oh, I hope I do a good job, but let life use me well. 
I take refuge in the Dharma and just showing up as best I can. And then I find that if it's not about me, will I pass or will I fail? Dare I eat a peach as, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, The love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Dare I, and being afraid, you find you have courage to, to show up and to speak, let the truth speak through you. And that's what we need. We need people who have courage, who aren't afraid to play small, who don't let their fears, which is a natural part of life, get in the way and rather show up and be willing to speak the truth, say the truth, and say it with love. So everybody wins. So I'll, I'll close this talk on trust with a one more Dana Falls poem. This is from her collection, Prayers to the Infinite, where she lets go of the plan. You mean to say that I'm plugged into the same socket as that electric blue sky? That's my, that's my time to go. I'll say it one more time. I forgot to turn off the, the volume there. You mean to say that I'm plugged into that same socket as that electric blue sky? so vibrant that I want to lose myself in its azure height? You mean that the same juice that runs the universe flows through me like a love song or a bolt of lightning? You mean life isn't about being good or perfect or virtuous, but daring to freely follow energy? Are you trying to say in your slow and patient way, that the presence of God is everywhere? That even as I bumble through my life, I have no reason to hide? That I'm not a sinner, but a conduit for light? That even when I'm dull and uninspired, the seeds of my awareness are sprouting even now? How utterly audacious but I know you're right. Holding back just leaves me feeling less alive while letting go leads. Well, I don't know where it leads, but I know that's where I'm heading. So let's sit for just a few moments now.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.